Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank. I'm the host of the show. And thank you for joining me. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you for checking it out. If you're a return listener, uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, As I've been doing in my previous few episodes, I have been recording live. So right now I am live on both Facebook and Twitter. So again, hi everyone on Facebook. Hi everybody on Twitter. On Twitter, you can follow the show at at EarPod. On Instagram, you can follow the show also at at EarPod. The email for the show is BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. The Facebook page, if you're watching live now or if you watch the videos later, is www.facebook.com slash LetMeBendYourEar. The YouTube channel is Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. So if you are a regular listener to the show or if you sample the show and like what you hear today or see today, I would please ask if you do a couple of things for me, which would be uh, extremely helpful. One, if you could uh, like the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, My attempt in the last few months is to aggressively try to grow the show and get more listeners and viewers uh, to both the YouTube channel, Facebook, and on the original podcasting feed. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it. The second thing I would ask, uh, if you could, is to rate and review the show if you listen through the audio feed. So specifically Apple Podcasts, but if you listen anywhere else, the show's available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and Amazon Music. So if you listen on any one of those platforms, if you could... Uh, rate and review. Uh, hopefully you give it five stars. And the reason uh, I ask that, if you listen to any other podcasters, whether they're big or small, they'll ask this a lot. And the reason that you get this request a lot as a podcast listener is the more ratings and reviews that any particular podcast can uh, obtain on a platform, what that does is the platform will raise the profile of the show in searches. So if someone is looking for a new podcast or have never had podcast or tried podcast before and they're searching for a specific genre whether it's true crime or sports or movies uh if you have the more ratings and reviews that a podcast has the higher they go in that search results so hopefully if i can grow the show when people are looking for a new podcast about movies sports or politics this show will get up there and give them a chance to look at it because obviously as an independent podcaster that's really your your only method of getting the word out about the show and growing the show Uh, so obviously you have uh, celebrities and people that do large podcasts so they have a built-in audience that will be able to go to the podcast because they know about it so this is the way for independent podcasters to kind of break through and try to get some uh, additional audience members and fans so if you could do that i would appreciate it again just rate and review uh, if you like what you hear the other thing i would ask to do and this is actually uh, even easier and quicker if you happen upon one of these videos one of the previous videos i've recorded of the show or if you listen on the audio feed if you see my post on social media on facebook or twitter or um instagram please uh retweet if there's a particular show that you liked if you like the show overall if you can just retweet my tweets i tweet pretty much every day regarding either uh, a new episode or promoting the episode that i've just recorded uh if you could just uh, like them and retweet them specifically that's another good way for for new audience members to find the show uh if you because you know your friends you know what your friends like what they don't like uh this podcast uh if you listen to the promo when you hear it it says movie sports and politics 
So as I've stated in the last couple of episodes, if you haven't listened, I have no problem repeating that. This is really becoming movie podcasts for the most part with some sports sprinkled in. I am still very passionate about politics. Unfortunately, the political environment as it is right now is something that's kind of turned me off. I will eventually comment on politics again. Uh, I have to find a way back in, to be honest with you, in the audience. And, and, and if I can't find a way to be uh, a way back in that makes me engaged and want to create a show about it, then I'm not going to do it. I will at some point. Uh, just so you know, when I do go back to politics, when I was doing it before, I was coming at it from two angles. One, as a completely nonpartisan, uh, I don't advocate for either side, frankly, things that both sides of the aisle do kind of sticking me at this point. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't really uh, done a political topic in a while. So uh, that's part of it. The second part of it is my thing is voter engagement. Uh, I think uh, we as the voters have to do a better job of, of engaging and being involved in the process. Uh, because as I've stated before, we kind of get what we deserve in our politicians. If we choose to not engage, choose to not advocate for candidates that we think are going to do a great job and kind of just leave it to the next guy or the other person you get what you deserve so unfortunately uh that's what ends up happening but again eventually i will get back to politics at some point it's just not something i'm interested in doing right now to be honest but again it's going to be movies which is my number one passion and sports uh sprinkled in which is probably my second passion and more specifically sports football i'll talk about other sports but to be honest my main my main passion is nfl football uh, as you can see my buccaneer shirt on here so uh, again, uh, follow the show, uh, like and retweet my tweets if you can. And like I said, share it with your uh, with your friends and people you think that would be interested in the podcast. And then also, uh, if you could rate and review, um, that's really, really important. Again, I can I can not stress that enough. And if you do that, I really, really appreciate it. If you want to email me about the show, comments, suggestions, um, feedback, uh, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. All right, so today's episode, episode 70, I am going to be reviewing, I'm excited about this episode, I'm going to be reviewing a film by Stanley Kubrick. So if you haven't looked at the title of the video, I think you, if you are a hardcore fan of Stanley Kubrick, uh, you'll know this film that I'm going to review. If you are a passive fan of Stanley Kubrick, and what I mean by that is if you have heard of him, or at least know a couple of the films that he's made. So if I, if you're not a hardcore Stanley Kubrick fan, and I said, hey, name me, you know, two or three Stanley Kubrick movies that you know of, or if you can even go that deep, I think most people would say 2001: A Space Odyssey, which most people know as a, um, one of the seminal science fiction films. I think most people would say. Um, I'll go Eyes Wide Shut that came out in '99 because that starred Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman, that movie received a lot of attention, some controversy because of its themes, and it was Stanley Kubrick's last film. So I think a lot of people would know that movie. Maybe they wouldn't even know that it was Kubrick. If they were not hardcore Kubrick fans, they would know it because of the press and the and the stars at the time, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, who were married at the time that film came out. And if you wanted to pick a third movie, I think probably the one most people would know, which I think is his most commercially popular movie would be The Shining, uh, the horror film directed or starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers that came out in 1980, which was the adaptation of the Stephen King novel. So that's probably the three movies that passive Kubrick fans would know. 
Now, of course, your hardcore Kubrick friends are going to know uh, his entire catalog. So in looking him up, he directed 16 films. Uh, so people are going to know, you know, Passive Glory, Dr. Strangelove, Lolita, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, uh, Full Metal Jacket. So uh, people are going to know the entire catalog. Now, today I'm going to be reviewing an early Kubrick film. So as I stated in my promo video the other day, Kubrick is one of my favorite directors. He's one of the most, I think, unique, visually inventive directors uh, ever. Uh, he started as a photographer for Look Magazine. That's where his background was. And then he went into making films. So this movie is an early Kubrick film. So uh, I saw this film probably originally, I don't know, about 10 years ago or so. And um, I'm going to show it here, just my free plug for Criterion. Like I said, they don't give me anything, but it's, I'm happy to promote them. Uh, if you are a film lover, you already know about them, I'm sure. But even if you're uh, someone that's looking to be interested in film and, and, and collecting, like I said, in the digital world, I don't buy a lot of tangible blu-rays anymore uh the ones i buy are usually for my for my child for my eight-year-old who likes kids movies and and the tangible one is always fun to give him as a gift so uh i usually buy the tangible one with the digital code uh but the only ones i buy personally now have been either films that i truly truly love on blu-ray and even then that's been restricted um but i've been buying criterion version so if you're not familiar with criterion criterion has been around since i believe the mid 80s probably they were back doing laser disc if anybody remembers that uh the large almost they look like a record album so basically that's one of the first kind of digital uh platforms that movie came on so in the middle of the vhs uh, uh laser disc was like the film buff stream it was uh <laughs> at the time it seemed like that it was beautifully uh rendered um good transfers of prints uh but obviously i found out recently that uh like laser just basically mold away and just deteriorate because of the quality of what they were made out of so if you have laser disc now i think it's going to be challenging to have them have a high quality and, a, and of course trying to get a laser disc player now good luck but back then criterion i had first heard of them so they were they were curating uh classic films of you know all times from from the 20s all the way through now and they were doing you know offbeat movies smaller movies movies that maybe you would not know a lot of them that you would so they they had a good mix of popular films and critically acclaimed but maybe little seen films that were considered classics so um one of the one laser disc i had because my brother actually had a laser disc player so the only laser disc that i had was when i had I had two actually. I had Citizen Kane, Orson Welles' masterpiece, and then I had a movie called One False Move, which is directed by Carl Franklin. I will review that on another episode. I haven't seen it in a long time, uh, but I will definitely review that movie because that's a fantastic um, thriller uh, with Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, directed by Carl Franklin. I will definitely review that movie. It came out, I believe, in 1992. But in this episode, I'm going to be reviewing the Stanley Kubrick movie, The Killing. Now, like I said, if you are not a hardcore Stanley Kubrick fan, you probably have never heard of this film. So this is his technically third movie. He made two other shorter movies before this, one called Killer's Kiss, which is actually on the Criterion disc. I'm going to show it to you right now here on Twitter. This is The Killing on Criterion. Here, Facebook, The Killing. They actually included, I didn't realize until I watched it, that Killer's Kiss is actually on here. So I'm going to watch that and review it for another episode. So 
uh, Fear and Desire, Killer's Kiss, and then this movie, The Killing, is his third film. So this this uh, this movie is um, based on a novel uh, called Clean Break. So in that novel, there is a a criminal named Johnny Clay who has just been released from prison after serving five years that plans a heist of a racetrack. And he recruits four other people to help him because he needs those people to help him logistically. So one is a police officer that owes a mobster a lot of money. So he's in debt. So he's one of the people, one of the gentlemen that works in the betting window at the track. Another one is a bartender at the track. And they uh, recruit a couple of other people to assist. So the setup of the movie is the planning of this robbery so what they do is you you see the planning and the thing that this movie does uh very well and it's kind of ahead of its time and i'll get to uh after the movie was completed about how people didn't like it and this is what shows you it was ahead of its time so the movie does a lot of time shifting so if you're a fan of quentin tarantino specifically uh that's one of his specialties you know most of his movies jump around in time that's uh, it's not a straightforward narrative. Uh, this movie uh, definitely does that. The movie does have narration and spots to give you a sense of when things are happening because it jumps back and forth in time. Uh, but the narration is minimal and it doesn't in interfere with the movie. So that's a good thing. Uh, and, it, and it keeps you kind of on track of what's going on. So the, the time shifting is, is something that's really done effectively here. Uh, the screenplay for the movie was written by Stanley Kubrick with dialogue by Jim Thompson. So the the book, Clean Break, was actually found by Kubrick's producing partner at the time, James B. Harris. He, uh, he went to the stores to find a book because they decided they were going to make movies together with him producing and Kubrick directing. But they had no no movie in mind because what happened was... Killer's Kiss was um, completely made by Kubrick on his own. He actually made it as a silent movie and dubbed the dialogue in later. And uh, it's a considered, I guess, a minor Kubrick film. But the thing that was important for them was United Artists uh, was impressed with the work. And based on that, they said, hey, next time you want to make a movie, we'll, we'll do it. So he, he hooks up with James B. Harris. And they have no no idea what to do. So he goes to the, to the dime bookstore to look for... Uh, things that would look like to be a good movie. He finds this movie, uh, Clean Break, uh, by Lionel White. He reads it. He loves the story. He loves the structure. He gives it to Kubrick. Kubrick reads it and immediately says, yes, I'm in. So Kubrick is writing the screenplay, and Kubrick tells Harris about author Jim Thompson, who's written several kind of those pulp novels that are popular at the time. And what Kubrick liked about Thompson was that Thompson was really good with dialogue in that genre. So The Killing is a... I guess it's a noirish kind of film. Uh, I don't know if it's a strictly film noir. Uh, you know, the basic structure of film noir. You have the femme fatale, dark subject matter, shady people. So that's, The Killing has that. I don't know if it's a straight film noir, but uh, Jim Thompson's dialogue in his novels, uh, Kubrick was a big fan of. So uh, they they hired him to assist Kubrick with the screenplay and punching up the dialogue. And the dialogue in this movie is is fantastic. So, you got to remember, taking into mind too, uh, the the movie was made in 1956, so the dialogue is of the time. But I think it's actually really good. Uh, my only small quibble with the the killing is the actress that plays uh, Johnny Clay's girlfriend. So Sterling Hayden plays uh, Johnny Clay, the uh, the criminal that's masterminding this this operation. I'll get into his performance shortly. Uh, but the actress that plays his girlfriend, she's only in it briefly. 
uh, for a couple of scenes, but I, I just, I didn't, on rewatching the movie, I just, I didn't, I wasn't really a big fan of her performance. I thought it was a little over the top. And a lot of times in those movies, that kind of happens, but it doesn't detract from the movie. And like I said, she's not in it very much. So um, not a big deal. So anyway, uh, so the movie, you know, documents the planning of this robbery, the preciseness of everything that has to take place. And um, one of the performances I want to start with in the movie is Elijah Cook Jr. plays George Petey. So George Petey, as I stated earlier, is the he works at the racetrack as well. He is a um, he takes the, the bets at the window. So he's obviously integral because he's in, he's inside the uh, the building that that's going to be robbed. So as you see his character, um, you see his characters married to a woman, very attractive blonde. You can. You can see that their marriage is not very happy. You can see that she basically feels like she's stuck with this guy. He's kind of a, you know, very nervous, very skittish type of guy. And um, as he's having a conversation with her in their just, you know, kind of mundane way, he lets it slip that something is going to happen big that's going to get them money. He doesn't get more specific than that, uh, but he uh, tells her, and uh, his wife, Sherry, played by Marie Windsor, who does a great job here, uh, is like, oh, so in most and a lot of these noir movies, which is great about the killing as well, is you you start to see and even movies that are out of that genre when um, some of the most you know, great movies are movies where you have a brilliantly executed plan. But of course, the human factor kicks in and things start to go wrong because of the human factor. So obviously George spilling the guts kind of on what's going on. He doesn't tell her what's happening, but he lets her know that something big is coming up in the very near future. So of course this, you know, affects what happens in a very negative way. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to give too much of the movie away, but the time shifting technique that Kubrick uses here is great because what he does is he tells the story from each character's point of view. So you get to see each character uh, highlighted in the time jumps to see where they fit into the bigger puzzle and what the plan is to rob the racetrack. Uh, so that's a fantastic uh, device. The cinematography is fantastic. Now, this movie was made, the original budget of the film from United Artists was $200,000. So James B. Harris, the producer, had to come up after they budgeted the film out, so after, you know, what a producer does, uh, one of the main jobs is, uh, there's a lot of jobs a producer does, and a lot of times that title is, is, is a, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a name only, if you own a property, if you uh, have a contract with someone that owned the rights to a particular property, you'll get the uh, executive producer credit, so that basically gives you a credit on the movie, so you get a, get a paycheck, or, or a kick in of the money. Uh, but in this case, James B. Harris was an active producer and, and the most active producer role in this sense is, is coming up with the financing for the film. So basically, United Artists told James B. Harris and Kubrick, look, we'll give you $200,000 to make this movie because you're you're hiring Sterling Hayden, uh, who at the time was a character actor, not a huge actor. Uh, they wanted a larger actor, Victor Mature at the time, who was a big time actor who had been available in 18 months from the time they were going to shoot. And Kubrick and Harris wanted to use Sterling Hayden. So they said, that's fine, but then you're only going to get $200,000. So once James B. Harris mapped out the budget, it ended up being $330,000. So he had to come up with another $130,000 so they could shoot this movie because he knew, and I think Kubrick knew, that if they if they tried to shoot it for the $200,000, it would look terrible. 
And this was their first big movie. James B. Harris specifically and Kubrick's first big movie with a studio. Uh, that if this movie failed, that they would pretty much be done. So Harris came up with 80000 on his own that he had. And then he borrowed the rest from his dad to get the movie made. So uh, kind of the what you see in movies when people believe in themselves. Uh, but they knew they needed that budget. So they took that money, went to California, shot the movie. And uh, the cinematography, going back to that, the you can see the techniques that Kubrick uses. There's several scenes uh, because this, this takes place in, and even though it's shot in California, it takes place in New York. Uh, and you can see the, there's a lot of shots in apartment buildings. And there's great tracking shots where uh, characters are walking from room to room through the walls and the camera is following them and tracking them. So you can see in this movie just some of the techniques that that Kubrick uses uh, he uses a lot of, um, uh, not a lot of, but there's a lot of, when characters are walking and they're tracking and just, it's beautifully shot. And even though it's a lower budget film, uh, you can see the techniques that Kubrick uses in this film. And you can see the things that he'll use later on in his more elaborate films. Now, the performance of Sterling Hayden is the main reason to watch this movie. Now, uh, to, when I watched The Killing 10 years ago or so for the first time, I had never really seen Sterling Hayden before. Uh, I know he was a character actor. The only movie that I knew him from was his small part in The Godfather. So if you remember The Godfather, he was in the scene in the restaurant where Michael comes in. They hide the gun in the bathroom. He shoots him. I think he was the police chief. I don't remember his character in Godfather. But Sterling Hayden's got that small part in that movie. That's the only time I had ever seen him before. And then after I watched it, well, actually, let me take that back. Other movie I was in, he's in another Kubrick film, Dr. Strangelove. So I take that back. So I've seen him in Dr. Strangelove first, then in The Killing. He wasn't a main character in Strangelove, but of course he's the star of this movie. So Strangelove came after in, uh, I think, 64. Um, that came out. So, uh, you know, he obviously Kubrick went back to him and used him again in that movie. But uh, he's fantastic in this movie. Sterling Hayden is fantastic. And I have to seek out other films of his because he's great in this movie. Uh, the dialogue, because the dialogue is so well written by Jim Thompson and Kubrick, he delivers the dialogue phenomenally. It's almost a fast kind of pattern. It's just as he's elaborating the plans of what they're going to do, who's going to do what, what time it's going to happen. That's some of the best scenes in this movie is him um, working the plan through and being very meticulous about it. Uh, but like I said, one of the things that's great, there's a theme that runs throughout the movie about uh, about his character um, Johnny Clay, he had just gotten out of prison. His girlfriend kind of stayed with him. She's like, you're the only guy that, that, that kind of believes in me and, and I'll do anything for you. And you can see there are people that are very loyal to him because he seems like a guy that's a, he's a stand-up guy. Even though he's a criminal, he's a stand-up guy. He keeps his promises. And, uh, there's a theme of him having, you know, just a run of bad luck. They, they excuse the fact that he's a criminal because he's had a couple of bad breaks and hopefully this, 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 um, heist will get him to a new place in his life because after the heist is over, he's planning to go away with his girlfriend and and leave, leave town. So like I said, Sterling Hayden's performance is great. Elijah Cook Jr. as George Petey, like I said, the the squirrely um, uh, bet taker with his wife, that's another great dynamic in the movie too because like I said, that's the conflict that kind of um, becomes an obstacle in executing the plan perfectly. Like I said, I don't want to give too much away because there's a lot going on and the movie is very economical too. Obviously, probably because of the budget. The movie, I think, clocks in in an hour, less than an hour and a half, I believe. Let me look it up here. I'll give you the exact time. 
It is one hour and 24 minutes. So it was an 84 minute movie. And it's funny, this is a theme and it's not any, it's a coincidence. Uh, if you listen a couple episodes back, I reviewed Nobody um, with Bob Odenkirk. And one of the things I loved about the movie, that one clocked in at 92 minutes. So that movie is quick. It gets to the point. It tells its story. It executes it well. Great action. Great thriller. Uh, revenge movie. The Killing does the same thing. It's economical. And like I said, I'm sure some of it was because of budget, but I think some of it was because the story didn't need to be longer than that. So it's riveting for the entire time. You get right into the story. You get Johnny Clay's backstory really quickly and they get into the heist. And the heist itself, when it's uh, executed, is phenomenal filmmaking. You're riveted the entire time of how they execute the things. And I'm not going to say anything about how they do it. So the, the, the heist is they're going to steal $2 million from this track during a race. That's all I'm going to say. Because the way it's executed is brilliant. And the way the film shows it is fantastic. The cutting back and forth, the time jumping around uh, is is phenomenal and it benefits this movie. Now, in, uh, in doing the research on the movie too, when the movie was done, and again, this is when I tell you when you have movies that are ahead of its time. When the movie was completed, Harris and Kubrick showed it to United Artists. And of course, United Artists watched it and said, this is, this is terrible. This is awful. It jumps around in time. You, you can't keep up with what's going on. So remember at the time, this is 1956. So you didn't really get a lot of, the movies were straightforward, straightforward narratives, beginning, middle, end, told in a sequence of time. Uh, for the most part. So you have a movie that jumps around in time and the, the movie executives weren't having it. So they, they told Kubrick and Harris, look, you need to make this a straightforward narrative or we're not going to release it. So they go back to New York. They recut the movie. They re-edited it to make it follow a sequence, a more conventional sequence of, of events. So they watched the finished cut. When they recut it, they both looked at it and it was awful. They're like, this is awful. This is not, this is not the movie we wanted to make. And Harris brought up the great point. We didn't even, he told Kubrick and they, I think Kubrick agreed. It's like, look, the reason we loved the book to begin with was because it jumped in time and it told the character story. That's the only reason why we picked this book. We're taking what made the book fantastic and stripping it out of the movie. So after they cut it, they, they just went back to the original version and they went back to United Artists and said, look, this is the movie we made. This is it. Take it or leave it. So United Artists released the film, and the film did awful. It uh, was basically dumped out there into the marketplace. It didn't do well. The only good news about it, though, which happens a lot with movies that don't do well at initial release for various reasons, the critics uh, loved it. The critical reviews on the movie were fantastic. And because of that, and this is where critics are important, you know, people not critics and sometimes even I knock them as well but this is where critics are important for me critics uh specifically on television when I was a kid Siskel and Ebert and then I would read critics later on but they they introduced me to films that I would have never known about otherwise and their enthusiasm for movies that were fantastic made me want to go seek them out same thing happened here with The Killing so not that the movie became a box office hit but the critical review made people take notice of Stanley Kubrick as a new promising young director because he was 28 when he made this film. So the critical response kind of 
set forth in motion and catapulted Kubrick to where he would end up as one of the greatest directors of all time. And James B. Harris worked with him on this movie, Passive Glory, and Lolita. But then, and they had a great partnership. And uh, But uh, James B. Harris got the bug to direct films. So he finally made a decision uh, to go branch out on his own so he could become a filmmaker. And then the partnership with Harris and Kubrick dissolved because he wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, under great terms, they remained friends. And, and James B. Harris produced and directed sporadically. Um, he actually directed a movie I saw, which I didn't really make that connection, Cop with uh, with James Woods that came out in 1988. The last film I think he directed was Boiling Point with Wesley Snipes that came out in 1993. He directed a movie in the, in these, I think, uh, mid-60s with Sidney Poitier. Party. So he became a sporadic filmmaker, but that partnership uh, was very fruitful for both of them. And uh, and I watched an interview with Harris talking about that with Kubrick. But The Killing is an important film for Kubrick because of that. It kind of launched his career. So again, let me go back to the performances of Sterling Hayden, who's phenomenal. And like I said, Elisha Cook is George Petey's phenomenal too. His his kind of pathetic character and just, you know, his insecurity and the fact that he's with a woman that, you know, he in the movie he has no business being with and doesn't want to really be with him. His performance is really, really good. Uh, there's other good performances in the film as well, uh, but those are the main two. And like I said, the movie clocks in at 82 minutes and it's as brisk and it moves fast. The dialogue is great. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, uh, heist movie. So I would highly recommend it. And I would highly recommend it because if there's, especially if you're, and one of the things I love about The Killing is I know Kubrick gets criticism from film buffs that think his movies are what's the term i hear a lot that they're very sterile very meticulous and i think meticulous true i never thought the the kubrick movies were sterile and i've heard other critics say this and i think it's the best description of kubrick's movies there's something about them that makes you have to that you you can't stop watching them even if you don't love the movie as far as story-wise or or acting or whatever issue you may have with the movie, the one thing you can never say about a Stanley Kubrick film is that it's not it's not visually arresting and, and just keeps you hooked in. Now, I, I have a higher opinion of his films um, than that, but I know the critics of that say he's just, there's not a lot of emotion, there's not a lot of that in the movie, that it's more about technique and composition of shots and camera work and which is great but you want a story and i don't disagree i mean i i, I want to be engaged in the movies i'm in i'm engaged in stanley kubrick films so I, I don't agree with that assessment but what's great about the killing is even if you're not a fan of kubrick's later films or if you've seen them and not been a fan this is a great movie to watch and if you're not a stanley kubrick fan or haven't really seen his movies and maybe um i wouldn't recommend you start with something like a clockwork orange uh, which I think is a phenomenal movie, but it's it's not for everybody. It's definitely uh, uh, not for everybody. The Killing is accessible, and I think for everybody. If you like crime movies, if you like heist movies, if you like fast-moving, um, great dialogue, this is a good entrance into Stanley Kubrick. I really think um, if you haven't seen his films or have not been a fan of his later films, this movie is fantastic, and I would highly recommend any film uh, lover watch this movie if you haven't already seen it, or if you have seen it even, revisit it uh definitely it's a great movie to watch so again i'm going to do my plug again for criterion so like i said i'm gonna put it back up again i watched it on the criterion version i purchased it and like i said killer's kiss is on here as well so i'll watch it i'll probably review that for another show um 
I'm actually going to do blind spots. I talked about it um, here, but if you want to pick it up, it is available. I just got it this about a week ago. So definitely pick up The Killing. Um, if you're a Stanley Kubrick fan, if you're a movie fan, it's worth it. And it's a fantastic film. It's great. Uh, so I will do blind spots with Stanley Kubrick. So now that I've, um, now that I have Killer's Kiss, I have two blind spots. Oh, no, excuse me. I have three blind spots left for Kubrick. I have to watch uh, Fear and Desire. I have to watch Killer's Kiss, which I have here. I'm about to find Fear and Desire. I don't know if it's available anywhere. And my other blind spot for Stanley Kubrick is Barry Lyndon. Uh, so that's the film that came out, I believe, in 75, starring Ryan O'Neill. And I know that film is known, it's a period movie, uh, and it's known for the lighting and the camera work. So the movie set in the past before electricity, obviously. So all the, all the scenes from what I'm aware of were shot, anything in candlelight was shot with natural light. So there's scenes in candlelight that are beautifully, I'm sure, beautifully composed because that's what Kubrick is known for. So I've never seen Barry Lyndon. So uh, I'm interested to, I'm going to review that in the future as well. That's a blind spot movie I have uh, for Kubrick, who's one of my favorite directors. Uh, so I'll definitely check that out and review it for another show. So I'm going to give The Killing four and a half Van Goghs out of five. Uh, it's a phenomenal movie. It is a movie I will rewatch. I have seen a few times. It was great to see it again after uh, a few years. It holds up. It's a fantastic, like I said, it's a fantastic, brisk heist movie. And oh, the last thing I will say before I sign off, I forgot. One of the, the reason that it's four and a half stars, almost perfect review. The ending of this movie is fantastic. I, that's all I'm going to say. It, you, let me know if you watch this movie after you listen to this episode. I'm telling you, this is one of the best endings of any movie I've ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's, I don't even want to say why it's great or what. Just watch the movie and tell me about the ending because the ending of this movie is fantastic. And, 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 and when I watched the, 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 doing the research and, and, and James B. Harris, the producer again, who worked with Kubrick on it, um, was the one that suggested the ending and like i said i'm not gonna I, i'm not no spoilers here because i think a lot of people haven't seen this movie he suggested they ended the movie the, end the movie the way they ended up ending it and when he suggested it to kubrick kubrick loved it which showed his greatest he's like that's a fantastic way to end it the movie the movie ending's great so let me know if you agree with me on that if you do watch the movie i think it's one of the best movie endings ever so i i, I wanted to throw that in there before we were done i didn't want to forget that part so definitely watch the killing again 1956, noir, black and white, beautiful transfer and criterion. The movie, the print looks fantastic. It looks, because I had a previous DVD of it and it looked fine, but the, the, the criterion is a hundred steps above. It looks, the print is clean. It sounds good. It, it just looks beautiful. So any of the movies you get that are classic that have on criterion, like I said, free plug for criterion, please purchase that. That's the best way to watch any kind of classic movie. So again, four and a half. Van Goghs out of five for The Killing, directed by Stanley Kubrick. All right, if you join me live here on Twitter, hi Twitter, hi Facebook, if you join me here live, thank you very much. Uh, like I said, I'm enjoying doing the live videos of the podcast. Uh, so this podcast, episode 70, will be available shortly, of course, here on Facebook, on Twitter, and then it's going to be on the audio feed uh, a little bit later. And also it's going to be post posted up on the YouTube channel. Uh, so I'm not live on YouTube uh, because uh, I'm not, I don't have the ability right now to do um, multiple streaming applications at the same time. So like I said, like I've said before, uh, I'm on Facebook live here on my laptop and over here on Twitter, I'm on my phone. 
Uh, so hopefully in the future, if I can get more hardware and I, as I grow the show, uh, my, my, my plan would be to, to broadcast on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and hopefully Instagram as well, uh, at the same time. So people can watch it wherever they want, or like I said, get it on the audio feed. So again, uh, follow the show here on Facebook, facebook.com slash let me bend your ear and Twitter. Hi everybody. Again, Twitter is at bend your ear pod. That's also the handle for Instagram. The email for the show is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. The audio feed is on most major podcasting apps. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. Also Amazon Music. And you can always get episodes of the show, not the video version, but the audio version uh, on the website. The website is www.letmebendyourear.com. And I'm looking for ways if anybody has a suggestion on how to how to monetize some parts of the podcast. I don't. I, I thought about doing a Patreon, but uh, I don't think I can commit to that. To having people pay uh, a monthly fee for content uh, to provide, I want to make sure if I was ever going to do that, they're, they're going to get their money's worth. Um, so I'm considering maybe opening a store on the website uh, to come up with maybe merchandise for the podcast, mugs, magnets, T-shirts. So if you have any suggestions on that or if any podcasters watch this or listen to this, if you have any suggestions about that, let me know because uh, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing that and using that as a way to raise funds for the show. Um, like I said, this is a one-man operation. Uh, I do it myself, obviously, you can see. Uh, really, the, the the main focus is to buy, uh, to purchase um, hardware uh, to upgrade the ability to use multimedia uh, options um, like I'm doing now, but on a bigger scale, like I said, uh, to conduct live interviews, to to stream um, effectively with better hardware, because that's my biggest obstacle. I, hey, I'm happy because I'm able to, and the beauty of technology is even with my limited hardware, I'm able to record, edit, and upload in a pretty quick fashion. So I'm, I'm very happy and satisfied about that. And and the time I'm able to put into it is, is perfect for that. I need to do something quickly. I don't have... You know, I have, you know, I don't, this is like for most podcasters, this is something I do as a hobby and I love it. It's not my main, you know, job or business. So I can't spend eight hours a day doing great production and, and, and editing and all that stuff, but that's okay. I'm able to still do the show every week and, and get a show up there and hopefully people will enjoy it. But I do want to, you know, uh, improve the production techniques of the, of the, of the podcast. So hopefully in the future to set up for future, um, growth. Uh, cause like I said, I want to do more live interviews. I haven't done that really. Uh, I finally come up with a way to do a live interview. I did a test one a couple of days ago, actually with my mother, uh, using Facebook room. So it actually worked good and the quality of the video is actually good as well. So very happy about that. But obviously I want to get to a point where I can stream independently and then get it out to multiple platforms. So that's the long-term goal. Uh, but the short-term goal right now is to grow the audience and to get to that point where it, that will become necessary. So any suggestions would be great. Again, I really love doing this, and, and, and I'm going to say this. I've been saying this uh, after the last couple of episodes. Uh, this is a, a, a great creative outlet for me, and I know we've been through a lot over the last year uh, with uh, for obvious reasons, and and uh, I would encourage anyone out there, and I see people out there. I see writers on Twitter. I see, uh, I see other podcasters talking about the things that they're passionate about, and uh, it's great to see. And it's made me happy. So if I had any, you know, unsolicited advice to you people out there, uh, find a creative outlet, think something that makes you happy, whatever your hobby is, uh, you know, if you're doing it, do it more. Uh, if you're not doing it at all, do it. Uh, this is something that I, I, I derive great pleasure out of. I've loved talking movies <clears throat> since I was a kid. 
You know, I'm I'm the definite film nerd, uh, and I'm proud of it. And I love movies, and I think movies are a unique art form that can uh, touch people in a way that a lot of other art forms can. Not that I don't appreciate, you know, paintings and novels and and, and music, which I I love all of those things. I love the arts that way. Uh, but movies is the is the particular art form that's that's moved me uh, to be to to be a lifelong fan of it. And uh, it's great to review movies like this, like The Killing. Uh, like I said, some of the greatest satisfaction I've had is uh, is getting people to watch movies that they would have normally never watched. One of my favorite stories with uh, with my wife is, uh, you know, we would watch movies together. We were long distance for a while before we got married, and we did the the DVD sync up, and we would I would rent a movie. This is back when you rented movies, and she would rent the same movie, and we would get on the phone and we would watch it together. And um, one of the movies that I recommended to her was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the Jim Carrey film. So, you know, she I wasn't sure if she's going to like it or not because it's a very unique movie. I think it's one of the most brilliant movies of the 2000s. Uh, not only did she like it, it's one of her favorite movies ever. So for me, when I can lead someone to a movie that they would have normally never watched and then they watch it and then they love it, that's, as a film person, that's that's fantastic. And when I listen to other movie podcasts and listen to people talk about movies that I have either heard of but never watched but I've never heard of and then they lead me to them um it's uh it's phenomenal so I think in going forward when I review films that were that I was led to by other people I'm going to mention those how I was led to it uh because I think it's great and hopefully this podcast does the same thing if, if you're listening uh or have listened in the past and you go back to my catalog of episodes I I recommend that you do there's some movies in there that I've recommended that are not well known um and i'll try to do that you know when i'm doing older movies because i i there's so there's such great movies out there and there's millions of movies that have been made hundreds of thousands of movies whatever the count is so that's the great thing about it there's always a new movie to discover or a movie to rediscover so if if this podcast helps you find that I, that gives me great satisfaction because i love talking about it and getting people to watch movies that maybe they wouldn't normally have not watched and then become fans of them as i am which is which is great sometimes they don't sometimes they don't really like them but that's okay too the fact that you checked out a movie, it may not be for you. That's the great thing about art. Art is subjective. What I like, you don't like. What you like, I may not like. And that's totally okay. So again, please follow the podcast on Twitter, at Benger EarPod. Instagram, also at Benger EarPod. Facebook, facebook.com slash Let Me Bend Your Ear. YouTube, Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. And again, please, if you can, if you listen on the audio feed, please rate and review. Again, this is a huge huge factor in getting exposure for the podcast it's super easy to do and i would be greatly appreciative if you do that and i want to thank the people that listen to this show regularly i appreciate it even if i don't hear from you and you don't contact me i i see when downloads happen i am appreciative of every single download that i get so i want to whether it's one whether it's 10 whether it's i don't care one is I'm appreciative of. That means somebody has at least checked it out. If you've checked it out, I really appreciate it. And I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It uh, makes me feel great that you checked it out. If, you bec- if you've become a regular listener, thank you too. Uh, I hope, I'm glad that you're getting something out of this, out of the content that I'm creating uh, that's hopefully helping you pick a new movie that you hadn't seen or make your decision on you know spending money on a movie so i really appreciate it but again i do this because i really enjoy it i enjoy it i do want more listeners i do want more viewers but at the end of the day this is 
something that I enjoy doing. So it's just easy for me and I love it. And the fact that you've checked it out or have continued to check it out is just great icing on the cake. But thank you. And again, if you do like what you hear, please share it with your friends on your social media. Again, that's another way you can really help the show. So again, thank you for listening and joining me on the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. This is episode 70, The Killing, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Again, four and a half Van Goghs out of five. Definitely check out this movie. And I will see you next week with another new episode. Everybody, have a fantastic week. Take care.